0: Good morning. It is so good morning, church. Yeah. It is so good to gather together, and it is a real honor to um, open God's word with you today. So, today we are. Oh, back one. There we go. Um, Today we are focusing on uh, five words here and I will make you. But let's put them in that context of the verse from Matthew, which we've been dwelling on. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And let me just start, um, first of all, by introducing myself. So I'm Andy, as Andy mentioned, uh, and I uh, work with the youth, uh, with the elder youth, and also run a a life group with my wife, Beth. And it's a real joy to do that. Um, And the journey we've been on as a church so far, actually, I, I think God is really stirring something here. And I just want to kind of highlight that and almost put today just in kind of 30 seconds of context, if I may. So some of you may remember last year, we did a whole load of talks around the kingdom We called it Kingdom Life. And that looked at what is the vision of the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? And how it's kind of now but not yet. Our role as the church. Actually, we don't go to church. We are the church. And how we put it into action. And that has really flowed through, I think, in a lot of the other series we've been doing. So think about multiply, multiplication. The kingdom is something which grows, which multiplies. Who are we, um, kind of as vineyard in that? Where are we going? Multiply hope was over Christmas. And then this year, actually, it's, it's more personal, it's more intimate, and it's focusing on the person of Jesus and his call to us, both personally, but also corporately. And so the last few weeks have been focusing on those words, come follow me, the ones with love in Jesus' eyes as he looks at us and says, come follow me. And there's been some amazing talks which really focus on kind of the intimacy and the heart and, and last week's around avoiding distractions which can often be one of the biggest enemies to following Jesus and so today we're on and I will make you and I was reading a uh, book by Tim Keller at the end of last year and in it he had one little exercise which I um, really took to heart where he said if you're dwelling on a verse you're probably going to get so much from just reading it and dwelling on it and and having, you know, five minutes on it. But actually, take a bit longer and maybe partly think what would happen to the meaning of that verse if each word individually wasn't there. So what does each word actually contribute to this? And so let me just take you through my reflections on this one. So, and, this is something of a continuation, it's a fairly obvious word, but this is something where as we follow, this thing is going to happen. I, well, this is Jesus speaking. This is a personal invitation to us. But also, as I'll come back to later, it's Jesus who's doing the work here. It's not come and be made, it's and I will make you. Will. This is not a maybe. It's not a we'll try and form you. It's not a let's see if this happens. The deal is we follow, Jesus will make us. And what about that word make? Well it's quite a common word in the Bible and has lots of different meanings. But the main thing I want to kind of share with you today is it's an active doing kind of a make. It's a bringing forth, it's a yielding fruit, it's a active formation of that word. And then finally, you. This is a personal invitation. This is directed to us. This isn't just some corporate initiative. This is about relationship. And I will make you at this point, let me give you um, a little bit more background to, to who I am. So I uh, work as a consultant helping companies with their strategy, um, normally sustainability strategy, which I really enjoy doing and tackling some of the big challenges and thinking about how you can put plans together, what can work, how you can do things in the best way. Um, and one of the uh, things which they always ask is, you know, well, how can we make this happen? You know, how can we make this goal that we've achieved, which quite often some leader has dreamt up, you know, one morning over coffee and gone, yep, by 2050, we want to do this. Fantastic. Do you have any idea how you're gonna do it? Nope, no. Okay, well, we're here to help, so you know, let, let's help you on that journey. And um, I wanna share with you, uh, maybe I'm letting all my secrets away, Or that arrow hasn't quite gone the 3D mode it was meant to in mind. I want to share with you some five questions which pretty much form 80% of my job. Uh, So if you want to do strategy, pretty much just learn these five questions and you'll be there. Where are we? Where are you? What's going on? What's where do you find yourself? What's your surroundings? Also, where, where have you come from? So where, where are you now? Where are you going? Well, actually, often it's some you know, nice shiny visions, I say, in the future, some, some destination we want to get to. What well, what is it? Let's try and put more detail around that. Well, what's the best route to get there? You know, actually, how can we get there? Are there different options? who can help us get there? And what are the next steps? And all of this then put into, uh, hopefully, some nice, shiny documents. There's your roadmap, there's your plan. Lovely, we all feel happy about it. We know where we're going. And if it's the next level, then it's detailed, you know, roles, responsibilities, actions, timelines, all that good stuff. Is this what Jesus means? Is this what and I will make you means? Well, let's dive into this just slightly more and stick with this kind of analogy, as it were, of being on a journey. You see, I think in some parts it's similar, but in other parts it is quite significantly different. So what's similar? There is a vision. We have a vision, right? I said that last year, we spoke about the vision of the kingdom of God and what a glorious, amazing and so needed vision that is. We know where we're going. That much is set. It's Jesus's full reign on heaven and on earth. And secondly, it is really helpful to know where we're at and also to be real about that. You know, if we're in a tough situation, if there's heavy burdens on us, if there's sadness, if there's rocky ground around us, if there's joy around us and new life and however we find ourselves today, it's actually really good to know where we're at. But then I think things start to change. And the call of Jesus isn't about some nice, shiny strategy document. It's not about that 2050 goal, which we may or may not achieve. You see, the thing about our vision is that Jesus has brought it into play already. It is the kingdom now and also in the future. And it's not so much about results as it is about relationship. So if I could change this diagram, courtesy of a nice shiny Jesus icon, thank you very much internet, I think this is a bit more like what we should be seeing. So let me just kind of describe this a little bit. So there is the vision, there is the ultimate vision, but actually we are to follow Jesus. He is the one Who leads us forwards we may not know where this path is going to take us we know the ultimate destination but we don't actually know where it's going to take us but the thing is that Jesus is the king he brings some of that end vision into reality here and now he brings that life he is life and as we walk with him, it's not so much about ticking off those actions, about making sure we're on track, making sure we're on program. It's about being in his presence. That word that Laura just shared, it's about being the friends with Jesus, arm in arm, walking alongside, step by step. Because actually, being in Jesus' presence is what changes us, being in Jesus' presence is what forms us. And one thing which I realized I was holding onto as I was preparing this is so often I think of this as, well, I will be made. And once I get to a point, once I've changed something, then the kingdom of God will happen. That's that's not right. That's not right. This is about life. This is about us having a life calling to walk with Jesus, to do the things that Jesus did. And the amazing thing, this is real life. This is where the meaning is. This is where the truth is. This is where life happens. So maybe you're here saying, okay, this is all great, Andy. There's bits of this which I get, but also you're both talking quite simply, but also in quite a lot of detail with lots of words. Let's make this more practical. Great, glad you asked. So what is another way of looking at this, this whole kind of forming, making thing? Well, a word that Nigel and Joe often use, which I think is really helpful, is apprentice. It's kind of the modern day equivalent. It is that on-the-job training and making as we go. And as we look into scripture, and we're going to just about to turn to Mark 6, uh, and have a look at how the disciples and the people around Jesus, men and women, were formed. Actually, what are the things that we note about them? Well, they were ordinary people. They were from all walks of life, and Jesus formed them as they went. How did he do that? Well, it was through teaching, yes, but also a lot through general life and through him um, training them up, discipling, discipline, correcting them, but also the Holy Spirit giving them power and working through them. And the result was not at some moment suddenly they became who they're meant to be. Actually, it was that journey And they were Jesus' ambassadors along the way. And the thing which I just want to really kind of uh, pick up on again and again is that this isn't a stationary one-time thing. We are formed, we are made to become like Jesus as we go. It's an active doing, it's a movement, it's along the way. So let's dive into the Bible, and uh, I'm going to read quite a bit here, but then I'll do a little summary at the end. So we're in Mark 6, and uh, as Nigel was saying, and as we have the I Am Mark coming up, it is a a great book to get into, full of truth, but also full of adventure. And so we pick up uh, here at uh, Jesus sending out the 12, which is verse 6. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. Let's continue. Imagine you are one of these people. Then King Herod heard about this. This is where the story becomes quite sad. For Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. When Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound and put in prison. And this bit, um, uh, I'm going to skip a bit here because it's quite a long story and a really sad story of how John was beheaded for what he challenged the ruling authority Herod um, with at that time. We'll pick up the story at verse uh, uh, 30 here. So as the apostles are coming with coming back having gone out and preached and healed so the apostles gathered around jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat he said to them come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. The story continues. By this time it was late in the day So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. And then one final bit here. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid." And he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about their loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Apprentices following Jesus. What a roller coaster day, two days, whatever it might be. Let me just give you a few of the high points, low points, ups and downs. And I want you to think about how Jesus was forming them during this. So first of all, they're sent out to preach. Can you imagine what you might be feeling at that point? Anxious, being overwhelmed. Am I ready? Maybe it's excitement as well. But here we are. We've just received some teaching for Jesus, and now he's sending us out? Wow. Then they do the stuff, right? They heal the sick. They preach the good news. People respond. The kingdom comes. Then they hear one of their great friends is beheaded. They return to Jesus full of praise, but exhausted. And what do they find? Actually more crowds who are in need. And at this point, I'd maybe think that they are, they are flying high. God can do things. He is doing this. So they minister to them. But there is so much need, they don't even have time to eat I think there's something here for us all to learn, that actually God cares about our well-being and our bodies because Jesus says to them, that's enough, come away with me, let's get some rest. They're in the boat, but then they see the crowds of people on the shore running and keeping up, and that solitary place that Jesus has just called them to, suddenly there are crowds there. What's your reaction? How are you feeling at that point? You thought you were just about to have some rest and quiet time and quality time with Jesus and there's people all around you. Jesus has compassion and he begins teaching them. Then, after a day of teaching, you're there thinking, my goodness, Jesus, you've just told us about the importance of physical rest and food. What's going to happen to all these people where there's nothing around here? Surely we need to send them back. Jesus' response, if I was on them, would take me completely off guard. will you feed them? say what? then Jesus' miraculous and abundant provision in that place, which we learn later, they didn't fully understand, uh, maybe because they're exhausted and because they're just there thinking about about themselves, I don 't know. maybe it is just the awe of it all. Jesus then immediately puts them back in the boats, which they've just come from. But they, a lot of them were fishermen. So in a sense, a safe place, a known place. Get back in the boats. Whilst Jesus dismisses the crowd who were told in other gospels wanted to make him king and wanted to start something even bigger. And he said, not yet, not now. I need to go and spend time alone in prayer. Jesus goes up the mountain to pray, the disciples in the boat straining against the oars. After all of that long day of teaching, of being with people, they're in the boat, but now they're physically exhausted, straining against the oars. And in that place, in that place, they see Jesus walking on the water and are amazed And I kind of feel like this is written such that we get this, that the formation was complete, that at that point they really understood who Jesus was, his love for them, his love for others. They worshipped him, the wind died down. Can you imagine how much this experience would have shaped them? Shaped their beliefs, shaped their understanding of what God can do. There's only so much that classroom teaching can give us. It's this practical, on the job formation that is really what it's all about. But let's get real. And I think God is all about being real. This is real life. We want to do the real stuff. This is hard because we also, I think, I feel, I'm not sure about you, attention inside us. This uh, little. Um, extract from a book by John Tyson and Susie Silk, I think, describes it really well. It says this I had these scrambled, disorientated desires in my heart. It was confusing because I was experiencing the power of God in my life, but my body, my pre Christian habits, and my thoughts were all over the place. My lack of integration frustrated me because I thought that if you became a Christian, then all of that stuff would sort itself out and you would just follow God. They continue, you want to adopt Jesus' vision for life and formed into his image, but your body and mind already have an operating system in a contrary direction. I don't know about you, but I I feel that. Like you desperately, like the heart's on fire when you're in worship and we're in the presence of God. It's like, yes, Lord, more of that. All of me, for all of you, absolutely. And then during the week or just stepping out of church or even in this building, just the the reality of it, the, the desires of our hearts can pull us away. There's this tension. And actually I want to suggest there's two major challenges and I'm sorry if you can't quite see that, heart and culture. Actually, what is going on in our heart? What are those desires? How can we reform those? And also the culture. Our culture is a major challenge. But also that talks about community. Who do we have around us? What sort of culture are we living in? And I don't have time to dig into this. In fact, I've prepared a a set a set of questions for life groups to think about this week. But what are some typical responses to Jesus' call? Well, in the Bible, there are lots of different stories. And it ranges from distraction to pure rebellion to delay to faith and actually beneath those i'd argue that there's attitudes of the heart behind those we're seeking comfort we're seeking our self image we're seeking certainty we're seeking others and maybe this is something just to reflect on, like when God calls us, when we're in that space where we feel the Spirit is on something, what do we do? Do we say, yeah, 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 that's, that's okay, yeah, yeah, but not really listen? Do we say the words which I think are so prevalent in our culture today, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm good? So much in that, which I don't have time to get into, but, but actually we're not good. There's only one person who's good and that's Jesus. Or do we say, Lord, just wait"? You know, when I'm ready, when I feel ready, I'll go. I I just need to do this. Or actually, is it like we read in the Gospel of Matthew? uh, Sorry, the Gospel of Luke. When Matthew is called, he's heard about Jesus. Jesus then comes knocking. He gets up and goes, and then invites all of his friends round to dinner that night with Jesus. What's our response? And I want to bring this into land, but actually, I'm in a sense only getting going. Uh, this, This week and next week, we're going to be dwelling on, and I will make you. And it is that active formation, as I spoke about before. It's the relationship with Jesus. If I was to speak maybe in more practical terms, it's that learning on the job, doing stuff, getting our hands together. And it's not so much about trying to stop the desires of our heart. Nor is it trying to um, ignore them. Actually, it's about reorientating them. The goal of spiritual formation, that's a bit of a buzzword, but becoming more like Jesus, is learning to think, to love, to act, and to will towards God in love. It's not the suppression and removal of desire, but the reorientation of the cries and longings of our heart towards God. You see, God is gracious, as um, uh, you'll see if you read kind of the different uh, characters in the Bible and how they respond to God, so often they get it wrong. Think about Jonah, you know, God called him to Nineveh, he went to the opposite end of the world, to Tarshish, but God is gracious and brought him back. And there are many examples of that. We're never too far gone, we're never in too hard a place. We're never outside of where God can show us love and can bring us into his kingdom. But how can we be formed? Are there ways which we can make this practical? Are there ways which we can be like those apprentices, staying close to Jesus, becoming like Jesus? Well, actually, Jesus makes makes it pretty clear. He says there's one main commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second thing is love your neighbor as yourself. But let's just zoom in on that bit. How can we love God? How can we orientate ourselves and walk in the day-to-day life, in the Monday at 8am, in the Thursday 3pm, in the reality of life? How can we do that for God? And how can we experience the fullness of God. And so what I've done is actually taken a few different bits of uh, literature and questions which people have made about these four different areas. And on the coffee stand at the back, there are some printed copies of these. Or if you prefer the digital version, you can try, and I hope this works, and scan the QR code up on the screen there. And you can download just a simple PDF. And it's got these two parts the first sight is a space for you to stop and reflect. Where are you? And it says in Psalm 139 about asking the spirit to search us. This is not a self-exercise. This is a spirit exercise. We're not about self-help. It's about Jesus making us, and he is here to help us. Ask God to show you where is your heart at? Where is your mind at? And so some examples of questions which I'd really encourage you to make space this week and just spend some quality time with God and see what he wants to say. So for example, what are you passionate about? What's the why in your life? Are there any things which actually God wants to reshape in how the desires of your heart are? He wants to take our hearts and and take them further. This isn't about God being a rulemaker saying you can't do this. It's about God wanting us to experience the fullness of who he is. Soul, it's about motions. It's about who we are expressing them. Mind, it's about what we fill our mind with, how we think about God. Actually, are there some ways there God wants to, to reshape? Are there ways which we can think how God thinks? And then finally, strength. That's our, our, our body, our resources, our time. Actually, are we trusting God with all of these? And again, if you're in a life group, I'd really encourage you this week to be taking some time of doing this together because together we can help one another go further. There's a reason why God, sorry, why Jesus had a group of disciples. We are made for relationship. Jesus is in relationship with the Father and the Son we together can journey through life and be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did. But let me bring this into land and um, then maybe we can spend some time being in the presence of God and thinking about this and thinking about what Jesus is calling us into. I just want you to imagine in your mind's eye Jesus in front of you. He says to you, come follow me. I know where you're at. I know how your day has been, how your week's been. I know what's going on. And with amazing compassion, he says, I want to lead you forwards. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wild. It's going to be more than you can ask or imagine. As you follow me I'm going to make you into more of who I created you to be into more of a loving loved free extravagant amazing person and in that I want but also I want to to make to the fullness your heart your mind, your soul, and your strength. And Jesus says, will you follow me? Will you let me in and help me form you? This is not about results or a one-moment thing. This is about relationship and walking with Jesus. So, I just invite the bands to maybe come back up, and we'll just take a moment of just being in that space, just seeing what God has to say, and letting Him.